You're listening to the Fearless Futures podcast, where we unpack and interrogate mainstream methods, as well as alternative approaches we have developed and deployed for equity and inclusion, working in daring companies across sectors around the world. Each week, we will explore a new angle you won't want to miss. So stick around. Hello, everyone. I am so delighted to be joined by two folks today as we talk about all things building equity into our products. So we have two lovely guests with us today. For those of you who have listened to the Fearless Futures podcast, you'll know this is a different voice. I'm your host for season two, Sable Lomax, she and her. Hannah Naima Mikowski was our lovely host for season one. And we took a different approach this season by talking to different guests who do various things throughout their careers. And I'm really excited for this particular conversation, folks. I'm not going to put you in the hot seat, I promise. But when I think about a lot of the conversations that folks have with respect to equity in general, a lot of it centers around, you know, customers, products, services that are more external facing. So when we thought about who to chat with about that behind the scenes, literally Hannah said, I said, Jonathan, and Hannah said, Mark. And I said, yes, that's it. That, that, that is the setup. So I'm really excited to chat with you both today. Before we jump in and I read your bios, folks, how's it going? You're a couple of hours ahead of me, but how's your day going so far? Really good. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. It's great to be here, Sable. Thank you. Likewise, Sable. Yes, yeah, it's a good day so far. And the way I like to start all my conversations with Jonathan, how's the weather on your end? <laughs> it's um, it's beginning to feel like spring over here in the UK at the moment. So it's, yeah, I, I definitely won't be complaining. It's very mild and pleasant and there's leaves sprouting on the trees. So yeah, it's a good day. Leaves on the trees is always a good sign. How about you, Mark? You know, we're not that far apart, so it's good. I, You know, I don't want to turn it negative, but the big issue around us is people are cutting all the daffodils out of the parks and taking them home rather than leaving the people to share. <laughs> and I actually saw someone doing it this morning when I was out, and I, I almost confronted them but decided I needed to be in good shape for today, so let it go. But, uh, no, it's the, the flowers are coming through. We could do a deep dive on daffodils next time we chat. Okay. <laughs> Because I don't want to waste any more time. I'm going to read bios and then I promise you we're going to jump in. So Jonathan English is the co-founder. I have my cards. You see this? We're branded, folks. Jonathan English is the co-founder and managing director of Skeleton and helps businesses and brands do remarkable things with video. He believes video has the potential to change the world by delivering powerful messages to the right people. He also injects his knowledge and passion into the culture of the agency, ensuring it remains a vibrant and exciting place to work. Most recently, Jonathan has started working with colleagues to take Skeleton on a journey of building equity into the agency's products and processes. Mark Watson is Managing Director, International Agency Services at The Marketing Store, a global customer engagement agency. During a close to 30-year career in marketing, has worked with some of the world's biggest brands and held agency leadership positions in the UK, USA, Europe, and now globally. Through that time, Mark has seen the industry evolve and evolved himself with the goal of creating a business where everyone can belong and grow. So before we dig into all things building equity, equity into our products and processes, I would love to ask you both, what would you highlight as the aha equity mic drop learning moment for you? This could be recent, this could be a couple of years ago, but one of those moments where you literally have to sit back and digest what just, you know, what you just witnessed or heard or read because it truly had a lasting impact. I don't want to call on you because I don't know who might have their their story ready, but you know, feel free to jump in. All right. So um you know, I, I don't want to feel like I'm playing up to the audience here, but the, if you want to call it a mic drop moment, it actually was the uh, the design for inclusion training at Fearless Futures. You know, I think it's I've always been aware of um, of inequality and inequities at, at a level. And I've always 
hopefully try to be an ally and, and although I didn't really know what the word ally meant when I was trying to be one back then I guess um, but I've always tried to push what I think is forward right but I think it was really within that training there were a couple of exercises but the most impactful to me was the whole nonagon approach where you to begin to understand that the systems if the systems are designed by people they are inherently designed to benefit people and if someone benefits someone's oppressed and really just shifting that paradigm of, uh, of then saying, okay, well, how do we redesign the system to make sure everyone is included? And it, it was, uh, honestly, it was, uh, I think it was day one of the four-day session, and I could have walked out after that first first exercise and gone, okay, I've learned a life-changing uh, uh, point of view here. And absolutely, it's uh, it was that for me. I'm glad you stayed and didn't leave after day one. <laughs> Two, folks, I didn't ask Mark to say that. Three, for those of you who have no idea what Mark is talking about because you have not participated in Design for Inclusion, DFI for short, the Nanagon he's describing, it's nine, um, nine-sided shape and we go through nine different systems of oppression and we do a deep exploration. We won't be talking about that today, but just so you can sort of contextualize what Mark was mentioning just now. What about you, Jonathan? Don't say DFI too, because this will then really sound really cheeky for those who listen to the recording later. It, 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 it would. And that's why I'm having to think quickly, <laughs> Sable, of what I'm going to say for the mic drop moment. I wasn't going to expressly mention it, but I, you know, I have been, I've been very fortunate and I think privileged to have gone through it as well. And so I can totally, what Mark's saying resonates with me, but I was just going to really say more generally i think the mic drop has been appreciating the complexity of the space around mm. um equity and inclusion and the energy that's needed to change it you know to make change i think there's a lot of inertia in the systems that exist and that's hard you can't you can't um break that down in a day you know that's a lot of there's a there's a lot of um yeah a lot of inertia there and and i also um there's a book I read uh, last year, which you've probably heard of, um, uh, called um, Atomic Habits by a gentleman called James Clear. And there's a quote I've in that read book. That one. Have you read it? It's it's a bestseller, yeah. so a lot of people have, but it really resonated with me. Um, and one of the quotes that sticks in my mind and my team will be, "Oh my God, he's saying this quote again." But I think is is relevant <laughs> is the the idea that we don't rise to the level of our goals, but we sink to the level of our systems and processes. And I think the systems mm. and processes here is kind of what we're sinking to, if that makes sense. So it kind of, that really resonated to me. So that was kind of a mic drop moment for me. I like that connection. Now I need to like go back to the book. There's bookshelves behind me. I'm sure it's here, but I'm not gonna pull it off the shelf, I promise. So before we officially dive in, I know I've said this twice, but I think it's important that we define equity for everyone, you know, inclusion or belonging or diversity and allyship and other words that are used regularly in this space. Sometimes folks are operating from a different definition. And then that immediately means the foundation of the conversation is just muddled in confusion. Um, so just for sake of making sure we're all in alignment, equality, same treatment for everyone, which on surface sounds fine. It sounds delightful even. Um, we could argue a, a whole different, you know, a bunch of different ways in which it could sound, but the idea that if it's equal treatment for everyone, it doesn't take into consideration the starting points identities or the structures in which, you know, the world has been designed, whereas equity, which is what we're going to be talking about for this conversation. And folks, I know you've heard this all throughout season one and different guests we've had on thus far for season two. But when we say equity, we mean different treatment that takes into consideration the structures that currently exist. That way we can actually end up with equal outcomes. So now that I've gotten my English literature teaching background out of the way with defining things, I'm officially ready to start. So Mark, I actually want to kick off with you. Um, and then Jonathan, of course, if you have anything to add, you know, you can come in right after Mark. A lot of times when we've done work, and I've heard this 
with um, folks, friends of mine who were in the creative space, you know, whatever, whatever that might look like for them, is that when we start bringing up the idea of structures and formalities, people start thinking that it's going to limit the ways in which they can actually be creative. Like, you know, when we hear creativity, the world just sees like infinite possibility. And then when we bring into this space the idea of, well, we might want to put a little structure here and here and here. Here's why. Folks often are very resistant to that. What has been your experience with that when the structure you're trying to bring into the space is something that is, you know, the idea of it is to actually promote equity within the space? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it was David Ogilvie, I should have researched it, talked about, you know, nothing gives you the more freedom than a tight brief. And I think I, the way we run the agency, it is actually, even though it's a creative shop, the way I run the business is fairly structured to start with. And I, I thought it's a really, that's a really interesting perspective that, you know, actually when it, when it's less structured, um, maybe the norms get, get fallen to, and then that, that brings doesn't allow everyone to shine in the way way they could so you know in in that terms in terms of structure i think it's really just putting in more checks and balances around the work we do we we haven't specifically changed the creative process as such but the way we we look at hiring people um you know the the checks and balances we put in there making sure that we we're giving everyone a, an equitable chance when they are interviewing in the organization with the, uh, I think the structure around making sure that the right people are seeing and approving the work. And again, I'm an, an, another great believer that doesn't always mean, you know, leaders shouldn't always be the most senior people in the business. I think there's people with leadership behaviors and leadership views that should be brought in. It's more like milestones that we put in place rather than, rather than structure. Um, I, I think that the may not be around the work itself, but I think one of the interesting case studies that's come up specifically through the pandemic is, you know, the um, the lack of structure and flexibility around work from anywhere or, you know, work at any time and just like giving people what we think has been a, a benefit to create that, create their own structure or lack of structure they're in. But then really when you start digging underneath it, that really does then start calling up that, well, I, I can't work from anywhere because you know, because I'm 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 limited, or I don't have access to other places, or the where my home might not be as comfortable as as other people, and then even you know lack of structure around meetings, you know, knowing especially during lockdown when uh, parents were trying to either educate you know home educate their kids or, or or have lunch times or get them to school and things like that. So I think that all of those things just come back to checking in checks and balances and making sure that what we think is right. And is helping, um, you know, the the team themselves are uh, are feeling the benefit of as well. Yeah, I think I think like Mark, we are actually quite a structured organisation in many different ways. The processes we have in place actually having good structure and processes in place, or like that quote I just gave, um, leads leads to better <laughs> outcomes. Uh, that's for sure. So we're we're constantly trying to improve in many different ways. I, I think. As a much smaller organization than Mark's, really the journey we've been on is just making sure that we are trying to represent. I think certainly from a recruitment perspective, that's the area that I'm particularly looking to be have a quick win. I think you could call it. It's like, let's make sure we're doing this process right from the beginning so that we can fold the right people into the organization, you know, uh, that we can embrace a more diverse culture as well. Um, so that's that's mostly where where I'm seeing the impact, I guess. It's interesting that you said quick win. So I know you all remember this, but I'm just going to make sure I'm saying things correctly here. So in 2018, at the end of Francis McDormand's Oscar acceptance speech, we all recall the inclusion writer. So it was a way for people involved in production, much like McDormand, to leverage their own power to disrupt the current system. And it asked for certain things to be considered. 2020, according to the data that was collated, not much folks have been using the inclusion writer, which we at Fearless would consider a quick win 
Because there are many, much like Mark mentioned at the beginning, a lot of this is not quick wins. It, it's just not a reality when you realize how deep ingrained these systems are into every single last thing that we do. But the inclusion writer could absolutely be considered a quick win for an organization or you know, a production company that was wanting to achieve one. Why do you think folks haven't latched on to the inclusion writer with energy and, and gusto, if you will? I think actually that is, at least to me, I mean, we, I'm, I'm not in that industry, so, you know, I can just give a perception from where I sit. But the way that rider was written, it, it actually turns, um, turns a gesture into something tangible. And I think through this journey, um, I think one of, the, one of the expressions I've read is going to show us your receipts. So, you know, you're, you're showing, you're, you keep saying you're going to do these different things. Well, actually step up and do it. And I think that the rider itself, having it implies that people go to existing and, and known entities that they've worked with, that are, again, probably designed for, for their business already. So it's a it's hard work to then resource, go and find uh, different talent and bring that in. And I can only assume, and again, it is just assumption that it, it's it's too hard for them, and and ultimately makes them really accountable. And that's the through that transparency, which is why I think it's strange they're not not picking it up. But I think it's that they're, they're shying away from how difficult it is. I I would agree. I mean, obviously Hollywood. Um... There's a great deal of power there in terms of the kind of the seat of storytelling around the world. We, I think we all know it's it's quite a cliquey environment. It's, it's kind of who you know. Um, I think Mark's right. I, I think when you start saying you need to expand the talent that you're using, it's harder. It's far easier to um, follow familiarity. And actually breaking that down is really hard, both in terms of, you know, when you start to look at the talent, is the, you know, is the talent, is the breadth of the talent there? I think what was interesting about the rider was there's, there's an economic penalty there as well, which directly drives, you know, effectively more inclusion in the in, in the talent pool. The economics of it is really nice, but I think the, again, going back to my point from the beginning, the inertia is massive because it's a lot, it, it making films and content isn't easy. You know, it's, it's a it's a risky business and when you add in extra what can feel like i guess bureaucracy um there's going to be a resistance to that also i think the way the mechanic if i understood it rightly it's the actors had could put it in their contract they could drop it into their contract um which might make them perceived it, it, it effectively affects the whole shoot and could mean that that actor is you know, uh, is is no longer chosen for a part because they're difficult to work with because they've got the rider in. So it's one of those, is that going on in the background? Do you know what I mean? I think I think that's probably some of the mechanics that might be happening, Sable, in terms of the uptake. The uh, the thing I wanted to add on, I think it, it sits within our industry as well, is your, your point about the talent pool. And I think it's a, it would be, and again, I'm, I'm not in the film industry, I don't know, but it would be easy to say, well, we want the best talent and therefore we can't bring in the talent that, to meet the rider requirements because it's not there. And I think what ultimately that does, and it's just, I, again, I'd say it for our industry at least as well, it's like, well, then it's about how, what, are the, what are you doing to create more talent to allow more to rise to the top as well? rather than just picking the, the, the top talent all the time. And I think that's, again, becomes a, a really, it's a, it's a long burn because there's a, there's a lot of unpicking that needs to be done and then rebuilding from the bottom up. And uh, I think that might be, be, be part of it too. It's chicken or egg, isn't it, in a way? It's like you need to make the industry feel attractive to, you know, to everybody and, and get people coming through so that you can actually deliver on that, um, you know, on that diversity. Um, and... Yeah, and it's managing. It is that managing of risk as well. I think it's it's really tough. You do want the best people for the job, and, and, I, and I think that's where equity comes in. You know, you are people being given, you know, that that um, yeah. that equity in the process that enables you to choose them. You know, because that's tough, and there's a lot of money yeah. on the line and responsibility and risk. People are always going to want the A team. You yeah. know, it's it. You know, and so it's about having yeah. enough people to put on the A team. I talked to my management team about, um, you know, are there key hires that we can make and you know, things that we can do? And, yeah, we do we do talk a lot about 
you know, opportunities we want to give, you know, new grads coming through. And we talk about non-traditional ways to hire. So are we are we going back to the same pools of talent over or the same areas of talent over and over? We know that where our office is, we've, we've spoken to local schools and we work with them and they don't even know that marketing or creativity is a thing they can do. So even just opening their eyes up. And I so we, we have that as a drive. But then I do talk to or we as a management team talk and say, OK, well, we look around the room and say, we'll say at the beginning, I've been in the business 30 years, give or take. I'm on the junior side of that. But anyway, um, but you say, OK, well, if we are going to start at the new entry level, then by math, that means it's going to take 30 years for a change at the top. So, you know, again, I think it's how do we how do we bring in that talent at the senior level too? And I'm assuming that's what the work has to be done on those riders. So to your point, the best talent is also a diverse talent pool. Yeah. You both have highlighted the difficulty. And what I don't even want to use the word difficulty because I'm not sure that's always accurate, but the amount of work and commitment and dedication that is required to do something differently. For those who say that they are committed to changing, we'll use the um, inclusion writer example, you know, for changing the ways in which things are produced, content is produced in the end from those who are in front of the camera to every single last important person who's behind the camera who you might never see or meet. And we have this tool and they they're, they vocalize commitment and we have this tool. How do you, based on your experience, how do you get folks to adjust and really stick to their stamina. I'm thinking about the word inertia that you've used, Jonathan. There is stamina required to say, no, we're actually going to see this through. And it might be uncomfortable because we haven't done it this way before. But if the goal is to have X, Y, Z, then it does require us to do something differently. And many people give up easily in this space because it is it is difficult to stay committed. What would you say to folks when you know you're feeling that pushback, that fatigue, if you will, stepping in, and they just want to revert back to doing things differently. So it might not be the inclusion writer tool. It, it could be another tool with the goal of promoting, you know, equity overall. What would you say to those leaders or those decision makers, even if their title isn't leader, you know, technically speaking? Yeah, so Mark normally goes first. And I think on this one, I have less... <laughs> I have less experience on this because in, in our organization is small by comparison to Mark's. And so actually we, we can be fairly nimble internally with what we're doing. And I think I've mentioned, you know, we're trying to do that with the recruitment process. But um, I think in in larger, larger organizations where you've got thousands of people or tens of thousands of people around the world, I, I think the the resistance is is sometimes comes from a place of they're trying to get on with their day-to-day -day, and this is yet another piece of um, I'm guessing it could feel like bureaucracy it could feel like oh it's one of these initiatives that's getting rolled out and we have to you know we have to do this thing and but I'm also trying to run a business here and you know that's not easy like running an organization is tough in its own right so almost going that extra mile is is difficult and challenging. Um, it's not easy to fix anyway. And so it's definitely a marathon and not a sprint. And you can see how you could fall out of that, out of that process very easily. Keeping that momentum going effectively for years and years and years takes, I, I think, a, a really strong culture and leadership throughout the organization. You know, what I will say is that even in our small team, you know, our youngest member of staff, has flagged to us, you know, she said, um, you know, I, I'd like us, I'd like to see more diversity in the organization. We have a really good mix. We have more females than males in our organization, but she was flagging there should be even more diversity than that. And and I, and I think that's how you keep it going, Sable, is you have to have um, leaders throughout that are championing this and keeping it top of mind and keeping it, you know, a priority. I think that's how you keep it going. Um, if you don't have that, mm -hmm. it rapidly becomes flavor of the month or the thing we're doing. And then it just gets, you know, it just burns out. Right. There's just two. Yeah, that's my that would be my take. I'm not going to deviate much. I, I agree, Jonathan. I think the in a large organization, 
I think it starts with honesty. And I think the first honest conversation is we're not going to fix this. I was chatting to someone uh, again about there being no end goal in or end zone in this. And they said, well, maybe not in our lifetime, which was a bit daunting. But I think reality, like, are we going to are we going to correct everything in the next 20 or 30 years? You'd hope so. But I think it's a tall order. So people have to understand this. This is ongoing. I think Jonathan's absolutely right as well. The it, it can't be an initiative and, you know, initiatives come and go. It has to be built into the culture and at the marketing store and Harvey, you know, it is it's absolutely from our CEO of Harvey all the way through the organization. Um, there's an it's we are constantly reminded of the importance of this. And there's there are some good allies. And I think, you know, you know, some of those from, um, you know, from from speaking to the marketing store, you know, people like Gemma, people like Susie, Weldon, Chidi, you know, there's a there's a real group that 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 feel that. And, you know, I, I think the other piece is is somewhat showing the um, the cost of failure. So you can look at it as a business cost because we know that doing the right thing will make us more profitable, will bring us better talent, which attract will attract better clients. So there's the commercial side of it. But equally, you know, what 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 Harvey and the marketing store have done is taken time to listen to people's stories. Um, and especially when there's been you know seismic events over the last you know two or three years, we, we've taken time to for people to come forward and be brave and vulnerable and share those stories. And when you hear when you hear people that you've worked with day in day out, or you know from a, a, a across the the Zoom call, tell you just an an a story that you cannot believe happens in this day and age, let alone to someone you know. Um, it, it, it absolutely humanizes it and shows that this this isn't something we can give up on. And I've got to give credit to the leadership of of our organization to be able to have a position where they, they allow people to talk in that way. And then obviously give credit to the people that they're prepared to be vulnerable and share share stories that they have, which are truly, truly moving and, and to be honest, uh, disturbing as well. Mm-hmm. And then I think people see why we're doing it. Then they see that this isn't just red tape to to check boxes there was something there this idea of humanizing and i really appreciate you know people often will highlight the commerciality of it all if when organizations are led by women you know the revenue is xyz over those led by men when the organization is more diverse from a racial standpoint or gender perspective you know these are how those organizations perform and you hear those numbers quite regularly quoted, you know, it could be Business Insider, Forbes, in New York Times, you know, The Guardian, whatever it might be. But this idea of what about doing the work because it's the right thing to do? Because we are working with folks that due to their identity are often dehumanized not just in the workplace by these structures that weren't designed with them in mind, but also outside of the workplace and what and what's the impact of that. I I really, really just, the fact that there's safety where folks feel like they can be transparent, I think is already a good sign and a really strong sign to the work that's been happening. But this idea of let's not focus on the business case because the business case is flawed because when I think about all of the Wall Street crashes and all of the wonderful, and I'm being very sarcastic here for those who don't know my humor, all of the wonderful things that have happened economically, that was all written by white men, yet well, run by white men. Yet we don't have to you know, have a business case to say why, why we need to keep them. So I really like us moving into that space of let's do it because it's the right thing to do versus, you know, what, how can we increase our bottom line by saying, oh, we have a woman leader. Oh, we have a, a trans leader. Oh, we have a, we have a disabled leader because then we're moving into the representation box, which we know doesn't necessarily solve these problems um, and these deeply rooted issues at all. Now, you all work with clients and you all might be on your individual journeys in this space. 
you know, skeleton and the marketing store Harvey might be on journeys as organizations, but that doesn't mean the clients that you work with are on these journeys themselves. So how do you balance, you know, you're, you're in a client meeting or maybe it's a pitch or something and there's a couple of red flags happening. And you're like, oh, 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 you know, how do you balance that relationship when you can, you're, you know, again, you're starting to identify if we do it that way, the client might get what they want, but that's not actually holding us up, holding ourselves up to the principles we're trying to, you know, interweave within the ecosystem of skeleton or the marketing. So have you experienced that thus far or has it not really shown its head yet? Because if it haven't, I almost want to promise you it will eventually. I, I can go, Sable. I'll be really quick. It hasn't really come up for us that much if I'm honest and I think one of my points I was going to make uh, earlier was actually just being conscious of these things like that's almost for me the beginning of any journey is becoming going from ignorance to being conscious of of the problem and the issue I think it's partly the nature of the work that we do um, it just hasn't really it hasn't come up both in terms of the strength of opinion and how we show up in the world as skeleton is evolving and changing we've got a long way to go. Like we're just at the beginning of this journey, really, if I'm honest. And and so I think as we go on that journey, we're going to start to feel that friction and that tension more. But it hasn't been something that's come up. Sable, I look forward to the day when that starts to happen a lot more and um, and we can kind of, I guess, fight that battle. Um, but yeah, at the moment, it's, mm -hmm. not, it's not a big problem for us. Yeah, Mark, I don't know whether you've got a different perspective or a different experience. No, uh, you know, probably the team at the office will joke that I'm not close enough to the real work to see if it, if it would happen. But I think the, you know, I, I would hope that I would. I, I In terms of, I think the, the kind of things we're talking about, I don't have any real experiences of that. I, I What I do have experiences of beyond maybe, you know, diversity broadly is is behaviours that we, we don't believe are right, whether it's, mm. Uh, bullying behaviors whether it's the way people are spoken to um, and uh, again I'll I'll go back to the piece that Jonathan mentioned as well and, and I said I, I know that we've got coverage from our leadership that, that if we think something inappropriate be it in in, in the, the way you're raising Sable or in another area if we go to a client and in a respectful way and say this this doesn't fit with our values and we are unhappy with this behavior, which we have done, um, and it costs us a client, then I, I feel pretty confident that I've got the coverage from my organization that we are doing the right thing to your point. That's actually one of our, uh, our the values that has, has been launched recently. Is, well, the fourth one is just do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't think we, we've experienced that. We haven't really had pushback in terms of, uh, uh, of the work as such. You know, I think where there's, opportunities that we would try and like to lead more on is the suppliers and the partners they use so are do they are they just it maybe goes back to that rider conversation you know yeah we always use this supplier because we know we can trust them da, da, da. we we i'm i'm not going to oversell it because we haven't locked it in yet but we're working on something that we're loosely calling a responsible pr purchasing protocol where we will always bring uh, a, a diverse supplier or someone to believe in sustainability to the mix when we present to the client even if they're more expensive and we would expect them to be based on scale and then we will encourage the clients to look at that as an opportunity but again i think it's it's down to the it's down to the teams having the, the bravery to come back to the office and say if something's not right or some or the work's not going in the right way that they need to call it and we have to have the have the 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 conversations with the clients i, I think is the way to do it there's a thread there with when the leadership is on board and is truly committed to this work, it makes other decisions easier, um, you know, for other decision makers throughout the organization who might not be senior vice president or, you know, executive, there's so many names, executive vice president, associate director of the blah, blah. You know, it, it gives them the ability to you know have that courageous conversation not just with leadership to say i'm not too sure this is the right partnership for us but to also challenge in those moments and it's interesting because when we do work with clients you know and we work with them in various capacities 
depending on resource, will say, well, we need to get your leadership on board because it doesn't matter if everyone else is in agreement, if they don't have the backing of the leadership when it comes to these difficult conversations, it's not that your work is going to be you know, voided, but it does make the journey, you know, as an organization that much more challenging. I love that. And values. Jonathan, because you're co-founder at Skeleton, what has that process been to like outline these are our values and we're going to stick by them? But also Mark said, like, we've added a value to recognize you might get to a space in the journey where you might need to adjust just a little bit in order to maintain integrity while while doing this work. Love to do the right thing. Um, I think that's a great addition, Mark. That's um that should be in every company set of values, really, shouldn't it? I'm just thinking, hey, that's one we need to add. And and doing the right thing isn't the easy thing. And it rarely is, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's kind of the unwritten rule in that value, isn't it? Um one one of yeah. ours is um or well, two of them that I think are appropriate is be caring and be courageous. And I think if you combine those two, you also do, you, you know, you can do the, you do the right thing most of the time. And in terms of accountability, Sable, you know, we, we have to our values, we're always looking for opportunities regularly with our team of how they're manifesting those values. And I think when it comes to equity and inclusion, it's about being more mindful of well, how is it? How is that being represented through the values, I guess, and and holding each other accountable to that, and looking for moments of celebration and joy as well when successes do come. I think that's really important to celebrate uh, success. Oh, you've got to. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but you've got to celebrate when the successes come because. This work is a journey for sure. Yeah. But continue. No, no, I, I, I think I was pretty up. much wrapping up. So it was a great interjection. So yeah, that was that would be my point. So the next question, Mark, I do recognize that you're rem- slightly removed from this part of this work, but I do think you'd have some interesting insights as well. Jonathan, you might be more closer, you know, just closer to it overall. So The one thing about inequities and oppression is that they're always here and there are always countless examples of them um, and how they show up in the world. Another thing is that I have found in, in certain instances that creative has almost exploited, if not actually exploited, you know, various different marginalized groups and communities by doing things that were considered on trend, trendy in that moment. And it's very interesting when the we're in a 24-hour news cycle, you know, between social media and all the different mediums, this push to always have content, interesting things can emerge. And a few of them that I'm thinking about is when it was Kylie Jenner who was discussing inaccurately police violence when one of the influencers um and there's so many so let's not pretend we know them all because we'd all fail that test this idea of how to live off of 27 dollars a day or 27 pounds a day and when i think about how that was done what about the actual working class communities who are trying to feed full families and then the creative spin on that what about actual communities of color you know, internationally, because oftentimes we will contextualize within the USA and the UK, but police brutality is a global problem. What about those in those communities? And then you hear Kylie Jenner discussing this really difficult situation inaccurately. How do we maintain, for those who do this type of work, this type of creative output, what would your suggestions be in terms of maintaining integrity when there are trendy moments that are being, you know, going viral, if you will, to say like, maybe we should not do that. Maybe that is a fail. Um, You know, what are those, to use your words from earlier, Mark, what are those checks and balances to make sure we're not actually exploiting people of color or trans women or disabled folks and so forth and so forth. That was a long background, but you know, I just wanted to give some color there. 
in those situations, I think what the Marxists are trying to do is hold a mirror up to what's going on in society. And I'm, I wasn't in the meetings. I obviously I don't know the creative teams, but I, I do think that they're holding the mirror up. And I wonder who they're seeing back in the reflection. Mm-hmm. Like, are they are the people writing those campaigns or uh, or how many of those people writing those campaigns can actually truly have that insight or truly connect with those events? We work with a a, um, a journalist called uh, called Neef uh, uh, Neef Ekpudum, I think I pronounced his name correctly, and and he he he's, we we use him on campaigns sometimes and some of the work. And when we talk about doing work in this space, he said that you know in order to do that, you've got to have a people the the brands the the, the teams work on it have to have a genuine recognition of the struggles that those people need to navigate in their day-to-day experiences like unless you've got that genuine recognition then you shouldn't be putting campaigns against them and i think that's quite insightful and i I hope we live up to that the uh the examples you use there also seem to use the brands to present the solutions Mm. whereas i think some of those campaigns that hit on these actually ask more questions um than they do and i think there was there was that danish tv I think it was called All That We Share, where they, they had the groups. I don't know if you remember it. They had everyone to put them all in boxes. So they were, you know, football thugs and medical staff and everyone was in a box. And then, But then they started asking questions about, well, who's ever been bullied or who's who feels lonely? And you saw, saw them mixing together. And it was really kind of thought-provoking rather than solutions. I think Heineken's World Apart was another example of that. I think it's got to start with authenticity, which I think is easy to say, but the authenticity comes from the people writing the campaigns, truly understanding and experiencing those experiences themselves. That was a great answer, Mark. Thanks for going first on that one. I, I think um, <laughs> I, I think the other thing that just listening to Mark as well and the angle I was going to take was that I, th- I think when you connect the product with the campaign message and you're you're, you're, you're on a real tightrope here of it potentially backfiring. And I think if at the end of the day, marketing is a manipulation. Um, and if you're riding that wave, uh, I think there's massive risk there and um, audiences see through it. I think the authenticity point, Mark, is spot on. You know, it's, it doesn't take much for it to flip into manipulation rather than authenticity. And people see through that these days. Um, I think you almost have to separate product and service and if you want to if you want to take a stand against something that this you know a negative point in the status quo then fight that point but disconnect it from disconnect it from your product disconnect it from your bottom line and sales and and you know the aldi examples classic it's just you know they're trying to promote the fact that there there's bargains to be had at aldi um you know it's it's just it just doesn't smell right i i think a brand that does it really well is um um the ice cream company uh, the really famous one that I can't remember the name of. <laughs> Baskin and Robbins, I ben think. And ben, ben and Jerry's, sorry. Ben and thank Jerry's. You. Ben and Jerry's is exactly what I was thinking of, Mark. Um, they were, they're really good at putting out content that kind of cuts against the status quo, but almost in a, in a kind of, don't buy our product if you don't like our opinion, but our opinion is this should be challenged. And they've always been a challenger kind of brand that's come up from nowhere. Um, that's that communication seems to work well i think when you cross the line it just it backfires very quickly if i can add on to that i think yeah i really like that example of of the buying into the brand beliefs and i i was minded as you were talking of um channel i think it was channel four a couple of years ago and say well this is probably a uk or an english specific uh example but you know channel four they they do embrace diversity especially um uh, ability you know with all the work they do with with the Paralympics and last leg but they are they do seem an inclusive group and then I think it was Sainsbury's ran a Christmas ad that had a non-white family in it and there was just this I horrendous backlash know what you're talking on, about. on the worst worst side of yeah well Channel 4 then pulled all of the Christmas ads from all of the brands that all featured non-white families and played them all at once and said, right, we're going to dedicate, I can't remember the name of the campaign they did, but they basically played them back to back and just said, you know, Merry Christmas to everyone or Happy Holidays to everyone. And again, I think that was a really nice example of them, you know, saying that this is, we are going to reflect who we are by by doing that. And um, I thought that was a, that's a, a similar thing to the Ben and Jerry's work. 
Before you started sharing that, Mark, I was simply going to say we got a chance to talk to Chris Miller from Ben Jerry's. I think that was episode four on this idea of radical communication and what is Ben and Jerry's process to take the stand that they do when at the end of the day, they are an ice cream company. You might find their ice cream to be delicious. I personally do. Two of my favorite flavors are from Ben and Jerry's. Um, but, you know, that 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 a bit that what you've highlighted, Jonathan, is like separating. If you're taking a stand on this, let's not use that to sell something. Just take the stand. And if you decide to continue to be a customer, then you are our people. And I'm paraphrasing um, Chris Miller's words, but this idea, and if you don't like that we take a stand, then you're not our people. Um, and you don't have to buy Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So that was interesting. We've been talking, I'm looking at the time here, so I am pushing it, but I want to ask two, two last questions. Um, one is about you all in, as individuals, but one is more so to, to your companies. So we've been talking about clients. We've been talking about customers. We've been talking about you know marketing campaigns and such. What has your, and Jonathan, you're new on this journey. So actually, Jonathan, I'm going to leave you off the hook here. I'm going to point this to you, Mark. Um, especially when I think about our chats that we have before, what has your experience been, you know, especially now with the different roles you've had and as a global leader with making sure that you are prioritizing equity in different, you know, functions or verticals of the business. So it could be recruitment, it could be pay, talent, you know, whatever it might be. This could be something you've done. This could be something you're currently working on. But, you know, what has that process been for you to be focusing on? I need to build equity at the marketing store internally because, you know, that that's what I'm here to do. Well, not the only thing, but it's part of my, it's top priority for me. Let me go back to the beginning of the, the, uh, the, the conversation i think that notion of acknowledging one's privilege and understanding and i actually did was i was fortunate to do a presentation at, at harvey actually right before the, the the pandemic lockdown where you know i talked about you know my relative success within within the marketing store but is that because it's a system that's designed exactly for someone like me and you know if as i as i look at that and i you know again bringing my training into play here, I look at my privileged fragilities and, and where, and, and how do they, how do, how do they manifest themselves in other people? I think that the journey is, is trying to, to create that opportunity or try to create an environment where everyone has that opportunity. So we talk about a place where everyone can belong and grow. And I think the belong piece is really important. And a lot of that, at least for me, is acknowledging, number one, I don't have all the answers and I come from a place of privilege to start with, but I'm going to encourage as many voices to help me on that journey as I can. And I think the, the piece that I try and do or we try and do as an organization is, is make sure that we, we talk and we explain and we have conversations and we make sure people understand what we're doing and why we're trying to do it, even if on the face of it, it's not completely obvious. And even on the face of it, if there is some resistance as to, to why we're doing it. And actually, in some of those scenarios, we found that when you have that conversation, it unearths something completely, maybe not unrelated, but completely separate that you can also go and, and try and solve for. Because I think some of the, the changes people think, again, well, if you're solving for that, that's pushing me back in a different way. So it's about, and, and that's why it is so hard, as Jonathan says, because there isn't a, there's not a single thing we can do to fix everything. It's constantly looking and being aware of how, um, of, the, of the different needs everyone has and how do we deliver against those. Mm -hmm. I just appreciate that self-reflection of going, and, and then publicly, if you will, am I here because of the way systems have been designed or have I gotten here by a different, you know, something just not that, you know, you asking that question is different than someone else who always might find themselves asking that question, um, you know, and, 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 you know, really reflecting on 
who doesn't have to ask certain questions, who doesn't have to question certain decisions and who spends extra time thinking through what might this mean and all the different scenarios and how this might play out. Five minutes to spare here. Jonathan, I'm gonna have you answer this first because I just picked on Mark, but if you could have dinner with anyone in the equity space, okay? And equity is a large space, so, you know, the world is your oyster in this response. Past or present, if you will, who would it be and why? Dinner with anyone in the equity space, past or present, who are you chatting with, Jonathan? The person that springs to mind, can I pick two people? Yes, you can cheat, okay. go for it. I would love to sit down with yourself and Hannah. <laughs> Seriously. I, I actually we can make this happen I, I just i just i find the work that you guys do is is incredible and um i i would love to hear more about your own personal stories and journeys that's taking you to do the work that you're doing um yeah i i it's literally top of mind right then i was just like I, i've just been wanting to do that for quite a while so i know we've been a i know that you're all the way over in new york but um say but it, that'd be fantastic um i think the work that you do is incredible well, that's even that's easy to figure out where some folks have picked, you know, someone from the past. It's like, well, unless we connect to the spirit world, I can't really help you there. But that that's what we, we could do. And I could hear you and see you perfectly. Mark, past to present, who are you having breakfast, lunch or dinner with? You know, I, I might go I might go somewhere different here. I think there's there's so much out there. And I've probably only just scratched the surface in terms of what to read and uh, and learn. I, I think I'd like to go to dinner with someone with a really opposing oh. view. Like I'd, I'd really like, I'd like to, and I'm, I'm actually minded to this. Um, I mentioned that Heineken campaign mm -hmm. before. Um, I, I think I would like to understand more why, why people, where they got that deep seated belief that that you know the, the the system isn't broken um and i see so much in not just in the us in the mm -hmm. uk as well um it would probably be a short dinner i might need some um i might need some protect protection but again i think part of that journey is really understanding and it wouldn't be to try and uh, educate them in any way because you know i keep saying i don't have the answers but i i just i'd like to understand perspective from that side why they are so fervent in those beliefs and not willing to change them um i just remembered the heineken campaign is called worlds, worlds apart, apart and that's okay. the that's the that um yeah one so. of the guests i think this was episode three i'm really um trialing my my memory here but zach um who's at expedia he had a similar answer he had two folks too i forget who was his first person but the second wasn't even a person it was like a room of ceos um like fortune 500 ceos almost who are obviously in, in positions of power who don't always you know sign off a green light some of these really good um, you know, ideas and things that would allow for equity to enter into their companies. He wanted to sit in and have dinner with them. If I recall, he didn't want to probe. He just wanted to hear how they talk and, and, and how they think. If I recall that that in yeah. correctly. So that's interesting, you know, how, how everyone's answering this question. But thank you, Jonathan, for your time for your energy. Thank you, Mark, for your time and your energy. And I'm going to make a note that you're on the younger end of 30. You know, I think that's important to amplify and highlight in terms <laughs> of your experience. I did not forget that. Um, you, it's been great chatting with you both. Thank you. And I would love to hear more from you both as you continue on and, you know, in this journey in equity and inclusion at the marketing store and at Skeleton. Great. Thank Thanks, Sable. Thanks for having us.